You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Dr. Vanessa Shannon has been the Director of Mental Performance for the University of Louisville Athletics Department and Norton Sports Healthcare since October 2015. Prior to moving to Louisville, Dr. Shannon spent two years at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. While at IMG, Dr. Shannon served as the mental conditioning coach for the girls' soccer and basketball programs, coordinated psychological testing preparation for the IMG's NFL Combine training program, and served as a vision training coach for the Academy's Major League Baseball offseason training program. While at IMG, Dr. Shannon also served as the mental conditioning coach for the University of Louisville women's lacrosse and women's soccer programs. Dr. Shannon was an assistant professor of sport and exercise psychology at West Virginia University. During her time at West Virginia, she also served as sports psychology consultant for the West Virginia University's women's soccer program and supervised sports psychology services for the swimming and diving, gymnastics, volleyball, and rowing programs. She has traveled all over the world from Sweden to Denmark to Germany and others. Her education is extensive. Dr. Shannon was also a member of the women's volleyball team at Rice University. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Vanessa Shannon. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, this is going to be great. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? I'm sure. Yeah. Just to piggyback on what you said, I'm the director of mental performance uh, for the University of Louisville Athletic Department. We have kind of a unique situation. Um, We have a a sports medicine partner in Norton Healthcare, which is a a healthcare um, provider here in town in in kind of the tri-state area, as we call it. And um, through that partnership, my position came about. Uh, so Norton was looking for ways to kind of serve the athletic department and um, Louisville was looking to hire someone like me and the two minds kind of came together and created this position. I was originally working, as you mentioned in my bio, with a couple of the teams at Louisville on contract and uh, eventually the administration here asked me to come up and do a presentation and speak to all of the head coaches and so I did that. And, and I jokingly say that uh, afterwards, the University of Louisville realized it would probably be cheaper to pay me a salary than it would be to pay IMG's daily rate. So uh, <laughs> so they created a position and I've been here for five years now. And can you, I understand, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners understand that what you do is very complex and there are um, a lot of aspects to it. And um you know, we have a previous guest of ours is, is one of your colleagues at Louisville. And so we know that you guys kind of, um, you know, come at athletes performance from, you know, both on field or court and off field or court. Um, so you guys work in tandem. But if you had to 
um, tell a kindergartner what you do, how would you, how do you phrase it, you know, to, to get it out in, you know, a five word statement or, you know, like I said, to a, to a kindergartner. Ooh, to a kindergartner is a little bit challenging. <laughs> I mean, I think the easiest way to think about it is there, are, you know, two pieces of the human body that influence performance and that's the body itself and the working muscles and the heart and the lungs and all of that. And then your brain and uh, your mind, really your thinking part of your brain. And so my job, just like a, a sport performance coach's job would be to help our athletes train up their muscles and their physical body. My job is to help our athletes train up their brain or their mind. Um, I think that's probably the easiest way to put it. I think that was that was a great way to put it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> but um, so then how how would you how much time would you say that you split up between doing that part of your job in in terms of the counseling athletes and helping them with their mental performance and mental conditioning versus educating administration and coaches to the value of what you do with the athletes? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I'll kind of speak to that and also speak to people always ask me, what's a typical day like for you? And I always say there is no typical day. There's more like typical weeks. Um, I would say, you know, 75% of my time probably is spent in direct contact with student athletes. Um, some of that is spent with individual athletes in my office, but the majority of that is spent either doing team sessions or on the field, so to speak. So in the dugout, on the side of the pool deck, on the side of the field, on the golf course, uh, with our student athletes, not just observing, you know, their behavior and their performance, but also, uh, at times when helpful and, and when uh, able and when necessary interacting with them. Um, you know, I, we have 23 teams here, 21 programs, 650 athletes about. And so uh, you alluded to Kate O'Brien earlier, who's our director of mental health, but in terms of mental performance, I'm the only person here. And so to be able to reach all of those student athletes and all of those teams, um, a lot of my time is spent doing what in the field we call consulting in the cracks. So finding opportunities kind of in situ in live situations to be able able to talk about integrating the things um, that we've already learned maybe in more of a sit down setting. So about 75% of my time is spent doing that. And then I would say about 25% of my time is spent with our coaching staffs, some with our administration, some with our support staffs. Again, to be able to facilitate the services that we want to provide our student athletes in terms of mental performance and me only being one person, I really can't only be one person. So I rely heavily on our support staff, on our nutrition staff, on our sports performance, sports medicine staff to be able to be kind of boots on the ground, first set of eyes to see student athletes, um, but also to help me message and to help reinforce the, the things, the strategies, the tools that we're trying to encourage our student athletes to use. Dr. Shannon, I want to take a step back and could you explain what a consultant is, what a contracted employee is? I'm thinking about the, the person that is interested in what you're saying and they may think this may be what I want to do. Yeah. So can you just explain maybe what those different terms and, and how you can get into this profession and and um, give give them some guidance and direction. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, our field is uh, sort of split, maybe not down the middle, but it is split in terms of educational background. And I'll kind of start there. Some people in quote unquote sports psychology um, have a background in clinical or counseling psychology, and then they have some experience or some education or training related to sport. And then the other piece of our field are individuals like myself who have a uh, background more in applied or educational sports psychology. Um, so we're not treating individuals individuals with clinical concerns. We're using psychological principles to educate athletes on how they can use their thoughts effectively to perform at a higher level. So the first thing you'd need to decide if you wanted to get in this field is really which part of the athlete do you want to serve? You know, do you want to serve their mental well-being and their mental health or do you want to serve their mental performance? For me, I, I chose the mental performance path because I think by serving an athlete's mental performance, I'm inherently serving their mental health. Our student athletes, any student athlete um, between the ages of 17 and 24 who's committed to form more years of really crafting their skill in their sport and trying to perform at a high level, vying for championships, things like that. The vast majority of them have pretty extensive athletic identities. Their athletic self is a big portion of their social identity. And so as a result, if something goes wrong in their athletic life, it can be really disruptive to the rest of their life. So I chose the mental performance piece. So that's one thing you'd want to know if you're going to get into the field. I think the other thing to know is you know, what is the landscape of job opportunities like out there? Um, a lot of, of sports psychology professionals uh, work in academia. They they are teaching other people how to do what I do. I used to do that. Um, there are a number, and some people may be surprised by this, of individuals uh, who are hired by the military. So the military has an extensive uh, resiliency training program and some other uh, training that they do for soldiers um, to be able to kind of mediate some of the potential negative consequences of combat and things like that. Um, and just, again, just like an athlete train up their ability to perform and be successful. And then you see, you know, opportunities in professional sport and then in collegiate sport. And certainly there are opportunities in, in junior sport and youth sport. Um, IMG is a place that, that caters to individuals between about the ages of 17 or excuse me, seven to 18. Um, so that's sort of the job landscape in terms of, of, getting a job and in terms of the difference between being a contracted employee or being a, a consultant, um, you know, it, it really depends on the budget of the entity hiring. And so ultimately, if you look at, at, at NCAA athletics at the moment, I would be remiss to try and guess at the total number of positions, um, 40, 50, 60, maybe more now in terms of individuals who potentially provide either mental health or mental performance services. When it comes to individuals who are hired full-time serving within athletic departments in, and directed at mental performance only, I can think of five off the top of my head. And so actually one of my doctoral students at WVU, Dr. Ian Canole, who's now at, at Dartmouth, um, he did his dissertation looking at a, he did a conjoint or market analysis of what athletic directors are looking for in terms of these services. And as you both can imagine, ultimately it comes down to, they want as much as possible for as little as possible. Um, and right now, obviously we're, we're experiencing an, you know, unfortunate, everybody is experiencing a, a kind of hit to the economy and that will lead to budget cuts and 
And so when you think about the things that are considered essential or necessary, um, unfortunately, mental performance is something that isn't always considered essential or necessary. Uh, so a lot of opportunities are there in terms of, of contracting work or consulting, because even though the athletic department may not have the budget to support a position, specific teams may find it within their budget. Um, or, you know, a number of teams may be able to kind of come together uh, and then uh, hire a consultant. Have you found that the way that you're coaching athletes in terms of their mental performance and mental conditioning, have they come back to you, you know, maybe after their collegiate career or after their athletic career and reiterated to you how much they've used those skills in life after sport? Because I know a lot of people are, you know, sure, that's all, you know, that's great when you can be in a program that can afford that type of, you know, support and things like that. But when it comes down to like the nuts and bolts of developing athletes, you know, we only have this budget and we're going to prioritize, you know, X, Y, and Z and mental performance is not one of them. But is, is this really something that, that you've found and that you've heard feedback that people are using it far beyond their athletic careers? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the irony is I always say a lot of helping professionals are in thankless jobs. I'm, I'm not, to be honest, our coaches or student athletes, our administration are very gracious. Um, I'm blessed and lucky to work with a group of student athletes who I think understand um, how lucky they are to have the resources that we provide at Louisville. Um, and, you know, Pat mentioned earlier, I was a, a volleyball player at Rice University and we had access to some of these resources in a very diluted fashion. And obviously all of the programs across the country over the last, you know, 10, 15 years have kind of ramped up their social support or uh, excuse me, their support services um, for student athletes. Uh, but definitely it's something I think that doesn't necessarily hit you until you're a few years out and you realize that you're not just using it within the athletic context, but you're using these types of tools and strategies in your daily life. And um, I've had, you know, a number of phone calls, voicemails, really, really nice letters, thank you cards, emails from former athletes expressing just that to your point of, of this idea of, you know, now they're in graduate school or now they're in their first job and now they have their first big sales pitch or first big presentation. And, and it's another type of performance and they're able to um, apply these same types of skills. And I always say everything we do in life, honestly, is a performance, right? We're being a evaluated in some way, whether you're being evaluated by your spouse or your children or your boss or your neighbor, or whoever it is. And, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to push the idea that I think we should all go around acting or performing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that life is a performance. And so um, these are the types of skills and tra strategies and tools that that are pervasive and can be applied in, in really any aspect of life. And so in follow up to that, do you, um, as part of your coaching, do you point that out? Um, like while they're athletes, you know, if something comes up and, and it can be used outside of sport as well, do you point that out? Or is that more of something that just kind of comes along naturally, or maybe you specifically, you know, comment those types of things to seniors as they're getting ready to, to move on? Or is it, like I said, is that just something that, that happens naturally and like you're using examples from life. So the connection is made that way. 
I mean, I think it's important to point it out because again, our, our athletes are student athletes. So they're performing academically, they're performing athletically, and then they're human beings. And so they're having to, you know, perform socially and, and have positive experiences and good interactions with people and, and effective communication with people. And so I think it serves um, the greater good, honestly, to point it out because it, the other piece of it is athletes who come in my office can vary in terms of how they see themselves in their identity with respect to student athlete. Do they all probably have a high athletic identity compared to some of their peers? Certainly. But if I'm an athlete who really loves a sport, but also needed an opportunity to get to college financially, I needed that to be paid for. And so part of my motive for participating in sport is the fact that I'm there to be a student and be the first person in my, in my home or in my family to get a college degree um, and create different opportunities for myself, then that student athlete in particular, it's extremely important that I point out, look, these are tools and strategies and skills that can be applied not just to sport, but to life and, and to your schoolwork and to your career and things like that. So I think it it helps sell the use of the skills better. I, I talk a lot about, you know, a lot of our student athletes and, and I was somewhat the same. I think anybody who goes on to college athletics is somewhat the same, but generally speaking, those people are people who potentially had more talent, maybe worked harder, maybe wanted it more than other people, maybe just got opportunities that other people didn't get. But at the end of the day, a lot of student athletes who get to where we are, haven't necessarily needed to worry about some of the things that us as support staff ask them to worry about, like what they, how they fuel their body and how they train their body outside of their sport and how they train their mind outside of their sport or how they think and how that influences their performance. And so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a hard sell when you get athletes who are as talented and who work as hard and who is, who perform at such a high level as we do to be able to say, okay, okay, that's great. I get that that, that's what you did to be successful for the first 14 years of your sport career. But now I'm telling you, you have to add in A, B, and C. Um, so it takes, you know, a bit of, of convincing them that it's something that they actually do need to be successful. And I think being able to express to them, well, you know, it's, you'll, you'll have benefits outside of sport also, that, that makes it an easier sale. This podcast is sponsored by Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Sorenex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sorenex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sorenex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. So, Dr. Shannon, I have um, a story that I know about um, and something that I'm passionate about is helping everyone that work with athletes to understand what is possible, how we can help if we work together. And I know of another mental performance coach that went to a sports performance coach at another university and was just trying to uh, work together so that they could do some really good things together for the for the athletes. And the response to the 
mental performance coach from the sports performance coach was I coach the body, you coach the happy. Hmm. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's, I, I don't want to lead you to what I think about that, but I, you probably already know, but <laughs> what do you, th- <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? And, um, maybe I might have a follow-up question to your answer. Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately you're doing a disservice to a student athlete if you separate the mind and the body, or if you separate the student from the athlete, or if you separate, you know, any of those pieces, because it, it all plays into their ability to be successful and, and have a satisfying and enjoyable experience. And so I don't think that you can separate the two things like that. I think those things go hand in hand. And I think the more often we can help the athletes understand um, you know, how impactful physical training can be on, on the mental performance piece of it and mental well-being and how much focusing on mental performance and mental well-being can impact your physical body. Uh, I think it's, it's super important to help our student athletes understand that piece. And I do think to your point of, 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 uh, that person coaches the body or trains the body and, and people like me train the happy. I think, you know, that's a misconception, um, that's pretty common in our field with the positive psychology movement came a lot of discussion and talk about being positive and and there's been a lot of research that's been done out there on happiness and and on the relationship between success and happiness and and how being happy is is important in terms of success and productivity from anything from athletics to you know uh, physicians making accurate diagnoses and and sales uh, people uh, meeting quotas and and things like that and so certainly that is a component of what we do but it is not entirely what we do and I think um, to oversell it as as though all we do is is try and kind of promote positivity uh, is doing a disservice to our field and and what ultimately we can do to ha- help serve student athletes the irony is I focus very little actually on positivity um, I mean I think it's important I think being realistically optimistic is super important but there are a lot of of pitfalls to being unrealistically optimistic and you've heard me talk recently to our support staff and our coaches about that specific thing right now in this current state that we're in as a a community and a college and a and a city and a country and a world um, that it's important to be optimistic it's important to know that this experience that we're having is going to end but there's so much value in acknowledging how much it stinks you know and how uncomfortable it is and and if we pretend like it's not then we're going to lose the opportunity to learn from that discomfort and T.D. Jake says excellence requires discomfort. So I think um, it's not entirely about being happy all the time. <laughs> Coming in with the quotes today, I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, have, uh, I was hoping you can take our listeners kind of into the nuts and bolts of how you do what you do. Um, so I know obviously right now from a distance, it's a little bit harder to actually, you know, do the practices that that you coach your athletes up on. Um, And you spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, you're attending practices and doing team sessions and whatnot. But so are you, you know, is it, is it like when the team's getting ready to start practice, you kind of like give them a a mental thing to focus on, or do you meet with athletes one-on-one or is it like in a classroom setting? Like how, how does the actual implementation of what you do work 
in in the team and individual athlete setting? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I, we worked from a premise at IMG and I say we like I'm still there because once you're kind of part of the <laughs> IMG Academy family, you're always part of it. Um, but at IMG, uh, they had a very kind of, they still have a very kind of curricular based delivery and, and worked under this kind of framework of what they call EAS, which is not theirs, but it's something that they've applied, which is education, application, and support. And I think ultimately uh, I took that with me and that's what I do in my work with student athletes. So certainly there has to be an education piece. There has to be a piece where you teach the information, you teach the skill, you teach the strategy. Um, But then it does no good unless you teach the athletes how to actually apply it uh, in their in their setting in real life in practice in competition Um, and then there's kind of the support piece of it which is so the ultimate kind of the the ultimate framework if you will would be you know you build this foundation of skills in the off season uh, you train up how to implement them through practice and training and then when you get to season they're still practicing those things and training those things in practice and now we're playing like we practice so we're implementing those skills and strategies and tools in in competition and so you know that's that's the best framework um, but unfortunately when you work with as many teams as I do across three seasons sometimes it's not always that way so you know it would be education application and then the support piece of that would be okay if things come up that sort of surface outside of your existing skill set and tools what else do you need to kind of add to your toolbox as we say to be able to perform at a high level Um, but as I said in in the work that I do in the environment that I do it, it's challenging to do it in that way because anytime a sport is in off season, another sport is in season. So while I'm busy trying to educate and help student athletes apply skills and tools in one sport, simultaneously I'm having to provide support in competition um, at practice in season for other sports. Uh, So I would say, you know, it's challenging. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned before, what I try and do is do a lot of team level work. And I just had a conversation with one of our coaches of, of one of our co-acting teams, individual sport, but they perform for a team score the other day. And uh, we were kind of talking about our, our services here and, and the strategies that I've used to provide them over the last couple of years. And could we change the model a little bit to reach more people? And one of the things I said is, you know, if I spent less time in my office with individual athletes, that would allow more time to be out and and uh, working with entire teams. But when you look at a co-acting sport or an individual sport like rowing or tennis or golf or swimming and diving or even baseball and softball have components to it um, where it's more individually focused, it becomes really important to be able to acknowledge individual differences. When I speak to a field hockey team or a lacrosse team or a basketball team, I'm talking a lot about mindset, but I'm also talking about collective performance and I'm talking about team culture um, and how can how can we perform collectively at a high level so with individual athletes that becomes challenging to provide that kind of team level intervention and hope that every athlete is going to receive the message and then apply it in the way that they need to so that's where individual work becomes more important those like small nuances and shifts that you would make to the skill so that you know that they meet the specific needs of the individual and again I'm not saying 
mean that all team players think the same way, but when I'm working with teams, a lot of it is about, okay, let's use our individual skills. How are we going to use them collectively to be most impactful as a team? I hope that answered your question. Yes, that I wrote down because you give such great in-depth answers, Dr. Shannon. I, I changed my question four times while you were oh, just sorry. giving that answer. <laughs> no, it was, no, it was awesome because you, you create you create this awesome uh, opportunity to just to think. So I want, can you take our listeners into a specific situation? So let's take a um, commonly used term and uh-huh. then tell us how you would go about it. And let's say it is a, it's not a co-acting team. So it's, it is a um, team where each, uh, where they are truly acting at, um, as a team. So uh-huh. let's say they're in a quote unquote slump. In in season, what what is your uh, approach to helping that situation, that coach and those players? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to do is try to first and foremost, I just want to express I can't stand the word slump, but I appreciate why (laughs) you used it. Um, (laughs) But I think first and foremost, you have to understand why is the slump occurring? And so, you know, and what is the slump about is the slump that the team is not meeting their goals is the slump that the team is not performing to their potential Um, is the slump because a couple of individual athletes who are core to the team's kind of collective performance are slumping and not playing well themselves. So I think first you have to identify what is causing the concern, what's causing the decrement in performance. Um, and, And that includes involvement from the coaches and the athletes about their experience of why that's happening. Because I think it's very easy to think, well, as the adults, we have all the answers. So I can just sit down with a group of coaches and they can tell me what's going wrong on their team. And and then we can come up with strategies to fix it or change it or, or make it better. But I, I think you're missing a huge piece of data there if you don't ask the student athletes their perspective. Um, and I think it's important to kind of triangulate what the coaches and myself observe in terms of of why the slump is occurring. So once you've identified that with all of the kind of key stakeholders um, and, and figured out, okay, why is this happening? Then it's about identifying strategies to influence it and change it. And I think the knee jerk reaction from a lot of people, and I'll just say people, cause it's not just coaches, it's people like myself, it's sports performance coaches, it's, you know, dietitians, sports dietitians is it, the knee jerk reaction is like, well, we have to change something. And at the end of the day, oftentimes slumps are not occurring because the process is broken. They're occurring because the implementation of the process is broken. And what I mean by that is, you know, we'll see, we'll see a team performing at a really high level and then they'll lose a couple of significant games. And now suddenly they're in kind of this slump. Well, potentially that slump occurred because they got overconfident and they got complacent and they stopped taking care of the details and they stopped doing the small things and they stopped living in breathing their process. And so now they're in a quote unquote slump. Um, and if you think about it, slumps don't really occur until after success, because if it was a lack of success entirely, it wouldn't be a slump. It'd just be bad performance. So, you know, I think you have to identify why the slump is occurring and then you have to decide, is it a lack of implementation of the process or is it really that the process is no longer effective? And sometimes it is that the process is no longer effective because, you know, maybe uh, you have a key injury on your team and that shifts the tactics of uh, 
of what you're trying to do. And it really affects your ability to employ a system of play uh, that you had employed previous to that. Or maybe your student athletes outgrow the system of play. Maybe their skill has developed and now they're capable of playing a different system of play or, uh, uh, you know, kind of using a different strategy. And as a result, they're getting outside of their game or they're going outside of themselves. And so you have to kind of revamp the process. But I think it's those two pieces. One is why is it occurring? And then two is, is the process broken or is it the implementation of the process? Do you have a mic in your hand right now? I do not. Why? Should I drop it? Go ahead and drop it. (laughs) Thanks. Go ahead and drop it. I'll drop the pen I have. Wow. (laughs) Boom. Oh my. We're going to finish on that one, Dr. Shannon. It's been a pleasure. Wow. This has been a power, power packed uh, 30 minutes. And um, we just want to thank you for joining us today and and, uh, sharing some time with us. Uh, Where can our listeners find you? Well, thanks so much first for the opportunity. It's been fun. Um, they can find me uh, two two kind of ways. I'm happy to have people email me. Uh, my email is Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A at gocards.com. Um, so if you have questions, um, you know, feedback, observations, whatever it might be, feel free to shoot me an email. The other thing is we, I, I have a professional, uh, personal, professional, um, uh, social media account. I'm not super active on it, to be honest, but I occasionally drop the mic, some certain piece of important information. <laughs> it's at Dr. Headstrong. So at Dr. Headstrong on both Twitter and Instagram. The reason I'm not as active on it at the moment is because I'm trying really hard to be present on our mental health and mental performance account for UofL. So we just recently started that as a platform to provide information to our student athletes, um, especially right now it's important in this time when we're all distanced and that is at cardinal mindset and i will be honest with you i accidentally created two accounts on twitter and so there's one that's at cardinal mindset one don't follow that one i tried to delete it and i can't so it's just at cardinal mindset on both instagram and twitter thank you so much it's been a pleasure um thanks for being with us you have a thank great you day. thanks so much you too Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.